Good morning, Calvary. I heard it started to snow. I've been in here all day waiting for you, and now we're here together, and I hear there's snow outside. Is that true? Oh, I can't wait to get outside. That's great. If you are new this morning, my name is Thomas. It's a joy to meet you. Uh, I love gathering as a community of believers here on Sunday. Like we gather in smaller communities throughout the week, men's and women's groups, couples groups, marriage, life groups, students, kids, parent huddles, all sorts of things. But there's something fun about gathering as the body of believers, multiple generations from young and old and all walks of life to gather in this space to recalibrate, to refocus and hear from the Lord together. It's our desire that God would be our teacher, that he would open up the scriptures for us and he would speak to us of how we are to be influenced by his word, how we are to be uh, led and directed by his word, which is why we're going through the book of Acts. That we're looking at the early church and how they responded, how they, they met the, the, the challenges of their culture, that they uh, continue to be faithful to their call. And we want to see how we can imitate the example that they give to us. Because church can be messy. Because church is filled with messy people. Like me. And like you. We gather in this space. And we come from all different places this week. And so what I love is in this space there are people that are coming who have experienced the victories of life. It just feels like. Promotion. Bonuses. Homecomings. Engagements. Weddings. And it's great. And there are others of us that are experiencing the sorrows and grief and loss and other this week. And the body of Christ, the community of believers, comes together in fellowship to encourage and support, to uphold and bless one another for the purpose of being sent back out. And so wherever you find yourself today, whether it's in victory or it feels like defeat, let us now gather and pray and ask the Lord to meet us where we are. He knows exactly where you are. He knows every concern and worry that's in your mind right now. He knows everything that you have experienced this last week, and he knows everything that you're going to experience this week. And so it's worthy to pause and to say, hey, God, author of everything, like we just come before you now as the community, and we want you, we want you to bless us, to teach us, to encourage us, sharpen us, and focus us. Let's do that. Lord, I love belonging to Christ. Father, I thank you for my sisters and my brothers in this room. That I belong in Christ with them. And I just pray that we as a community of believers would now let some of the worries, concerns, distractions go and give you our fullest attention. And then, Lord, speak. Speak into every area of our individual lives and speak into our community that we would know what is our next steps to follow. Encourage those who are discouraged, Lord. Would you receive the praise of those who are, are praising you today? Would you give wisdom to the confused, and then build your church, Lord, build us. Teach us now what it looks like to face opposition and threat from a culture as we look into Acts to see how they did. It's in your name we commit ourselves and commit this time to you. 
Amen. Do you feel as though religious liberties are threatened today in America? There's an audible yes in the room. Whether that's accurate or not accurate, let's just put that to the side. Let's just say that's what many would sense, that there's a threat to religious liberties. That maybe there's a growing animosity towards people of faith or religious groups of faith that that voice wants to be quieted, specifically towards Christians. Now that might be unique for us in our day and age as Americans. It is not unique to the histories of the world or the church of the world or to our brothers and sisters around the world. And what I want to do is I want to take today's text and help build us up as the church to know how do we respond if that threat continues to grow. I want to address what does it look like for Christians to respond if truly their, their faith is threatened at some point. And I want to look at Acts and, and put ourselves in their shoes. We're, we've been looking at the story of Acts, which is the beginning of the church. And there was this small, oppressed, religious minority that had this explosion of the world. And we've seen the first message and the first miracle. And last week, Pastor Tom did a great job looking at the first opposition now to the church. But the church is exploding. It's going to start crossing cultural barriers across cities and nationalities. And it becomes what we know today as the largest, most diverse group of people on the planet. We're looking at the beginnings of that, and we've seen from just 12 huddled up to 120, to then the first like two, 3,000, and then 5,000, and it's about to turn to the next chapters. You can't even start counting. It's just called multitudes of people, waves of people who are coming to Christ to know the gospel, to know salvation, to know the love of God in their life. But there was growing opposition. And last week we looked at this first moment of opposition in which the leading political figures, those who held authority in Jerusalem, told the disciples under threat to stop speaking. The church knows when opposition comes that it's a threat to them. The question is, how do you respond? And this threat is, is evident around the world today. Just last week we opened the headlines and more than two dozen Christians were killed in Burkina Faso. That pastors and deacons and family members were kidnapped and put to death. Looking at studies that those who look at the reports and research of what's happening worldwide, there's an uptick in that animosity towards Christians. Here's one company called Open Doors. Their CEO, David Curry, explained this. It's going to, be, it's going to sound the alarm, speaking of his report. The report finds that about 260 million Christians experience high levels of persecution. In the top 50 countries on the list, an increase of about 6% from 2019's report to today. The report also states that about 9,400 churches or Christian buildings, or an average of 25 per day, were attacked during the 2019 reporting period of November 1st to October 31st of 2018 and 2019. By comparison, Open Doors noted in last year's report that more than 1,200 churches or Christian buildings were attacked. Also, the number of Christians detained without trial, arrested, and imprisoned increased from 2,625 people in 2019 
to 3,711 people in the 2020 report. You're like, why do you share that? I came for like good news. What? That's so depressing. I share it because it's real. And what we want to talk about in this room is reality. What the Bible wants to address is the real life you live in. And we experience some of these things in small measure about speaking up in our faith at work or in the community or our families. And people are annoyed and some even threatened and will respond with opposition or threats. Some of us are trying to be bold and, and start schools in the local Florida County area and under threat, like they're just dissolved. And the question is, when you stand up and, and you're, you're speaking about your faith, you're being a confident witness, which is one of our shaping values, that you be confident as a witness of Jesus Christ. When you do that, you, you see some fracturing maybe in relationships and, and people that you've loved. You see fracturing maybe in work and there's this fear that comes out. Like, what does this mean? Am I going to lose relationships? Am I going to lose my job? What, what implications does me having a witness here impact? And usually that kind of fear or that response You'll find yourself somewhere on this spectrum of response. Over here with threat and opposition to your witness is apathy. And over here, as a threat and opposition to your faith, is aggression. And somewhere in here, most of us will land, or all of us will land, is when we've been bold in our faith and the leading figures of authority say, stop speaking, like we saw last week. Many of us will retreat over here to apathy, like, okay, absolutely, I won't ever say anything again in the name of Jesus, in the public sphere, you got it. Zip. It's like, what's it matter anyway? Truly God's going to save whoever he saves? Does he really need me to say anything? We'll retreat to this far side of the spectrum. Others of us say, well, that's not right. Why is my voice the one that's quieted? How come I'm the only one that can't share my views here at this place? And so we move towards aggression. Like, I will get back. I will load up. I'm coming in guns a-blazing. And I'm going to show them why that's wrong. Legally wrong. But somewhere in here is a great biblical church response that we see the disciples do. That I want to commend to us. So that you would be built up. So that you would be equipped for every season you find yourself in as a Christian. And so I want to look at Acts chapter 4. And in Acts chapter 4, we're going to see this big headline. That staying connected keeps us courageous. The way that we continue to be courageous in our faith and continue to share the gospel with courage and boldness is that we have to stay connected. Now, they're going to show us three, the, the, the text is going to give us three areas of how to stay connected. So we connected in community, or we connected in prayer, and connected in the spirit. And those are three areas that is a must for us if we are not to simply retreat into apathy or to move it towards aggression, but simply be courageous. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23. They have stand before the, they've stood before the Sanhedrin. They've been arrested. The Sanhedrin cannot deny the message nor the miracle. And so they try to quiet the messengers. And they tell them under threat to stop speaking. And they release them from jail. Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. The first thing they do in the midst of opposition to their witness is to go back to the community of believers. They're friends. They, they don't isolate themselves. 
They don't try to manhandle this on their own. They don't try to be their own hero. The first thing they do is get back and be connected into the community of believers. Now, let me just paint that picture for you in your own life. In the midst of hardship, whether that is opposition or threats, whether that's just trials or grief, who are the first, who are the first people that you're going to run to? Do you have people? Do you have people that you would run to in the midst of hardship so that you would not attempt to go at this alone? It's our goal as the, the body of believers to be connected to one another. This is where our courage and our strength often comes from. The late Jerry Bridges, who worked with navigators, said this about our fellowship. He said, there are many elements that go into the total concept of fellowship as it is described in the New Testament. But the sharing together in suffering is one of the most profitable. It probably unites our hearts together in Christ more than any other aspect of fellowship. In the midst of suffering, fellowship thrives if you'll run into it. And so here at Calvary, we want you to be known. We want you to be connected inside the body. Part of that ownership of being connected is on you. That hardship comes to you and is your response, like the disciples, to come into community, come into relationship, be connected with others. This is why as we grow bigger, we intentionally try to get smaller. This is why there are small groups, we call them life groups. This is why there's women's groups, men's groups, life groups with couples. This is why there's students and children. Why? Because we know at a church this size, you can get lost. You can come in here, get goods and services, and leave and never be known. But when hardship comes, when opposition or threat comes, you need the fellowship. I need the fellowship. So are you being connected? This is why as a community, we want to be the most welcoming community. So when, when people are new, when we don't recognize someone when we're in the lobby, we'll just hang out with our friends. We walk across the lobby and say, hey, I don't recognize you. My name is Thomas. You, you give them your name. You think that's obvious? It's not obvious to everyone. You introduce yourself, and then you ask them this question. It's a very important question. You say, how long have you been coming to Calvary? I have made the mistake of asking, are you new? <laughs> I've been coming here for 20 years. Wow, wow. 20 years, okay, and we've never met. I feel terrible. You say, no, how, how long have you been coming to Calvary? What brought you to Calvary? It's maybe another question. Then you're trying to connect them within the community. You're from Michigan. I know someone from Michigan. You're from Minnesota. I know someone from Minnesota. You have kids that go to this school. Here's a family that goes to this school. And we're trying to connect people in community. Why? Because we know that we need community. And we know they need community. We must stay connected in community if we're going to keep being courageous. Now, it's not enough just to know some names. The disciples go and find their friends, it says, and then what do they do? They tell them everything that happened. So when they're connected in community, they actually share their life, their struggles with them. Do you share that with your life group? Do you share that anywhere in community? What's actually happening in your life? So the disciples didn't rush into community, and they say, what happened? Where'd you go? Oh, nothing. It's no big deal. Oh, we heard that you, you were arrested and in jail last night. Oh, yeah, right, right, yeah. Oh, it's more of a misunderstanding than anything else. Like, no. 
People in community are honest and transparent with those they share community with. This is what's really going on in my marriage. It's not good. This is what's really going on in my singleness. It's hard. This is what's really going on in my finances. They share with their friends what's really happening. That builds community. Are there five people in your life that you're honest with? Are there four people that you've told what's really going on to? Three? Is there two? Can you name one person in your life that really knows what's going on in your world this week? If we're going to stay courageous and bold, we need each other. And we need real, authentic relationships with one another. People often retreat from community because they're unwilling to be known or to be honest. And this is just a call for us to come to community and be honest with one another. And then they do the next thing. So not only do they come to their community, not only are they there and they're, and they're sharing what's going on, it leads them to their next thing, which is they pray. They're connected in prayer together. Verse 24, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, that together that they're a praying community. Are you a prayerful person? Another shaping value here at Calvary, some of this core of our DNA of what we want to be as disciples, is that we want to be faithful to pray. Prayer in faithfulness. That whatever's coming in life, that we're bringing it to the Lord. That we pray. This is why there's so many opportunities here at Calvary to pray. Well, if you went to base camp, which is kind of where we start, and say, if you're new to Calvary, jump into base camp, get to know Calvary. There's three experiences at base camp. Three things that we say are so important to your faith. You've got you to experience it. Just not know about it. One of those is a prayer experience. Because we want prayer to be in every single person's life. It's our lifeline of being connected to our Father. This is why we have prayer teams at the end of every service. There are men and women who stand up here at the end of service and say, Do you have something going on? Big or small? A worry, a concern, a grief? Come. We would love to pray together with one voice and seek the Father together in community. Pray in community. Right here in the front. Many people at Calvary will never come to the prayer team because they don't want to appear weak. If you want to appear weak coming to the prayer team, perhaps you just appear prideful, like you got it all going on. The invitation is to come. Be in community. Pray with one another. Life groups. If you, if you get our, our curriculum every single week or the content that uh, Perry Marshall produces with our adult education, it's like, how do you pray this together? Pray for one another is the end and conclusion of those things. You can grab those online. In your seats, there's a connect card of how you can take next steps at Calvary. And on the back of it, there's a little section where you can write your prayers. You write your prayers right here. Now, some people think this is a comment card. That's at Chili's. But <laughs> did you like your service today? There's a prayer card where you write your prayers. Now, Izzy, I love your concerns and comments about the church. I really do. Just email them. Maybe make a phone call. I know it's hard because you can't stay anonymous, but, you know, then we can have a conversation about things. But here's this little section. And every week, every prayer is written down and given to the staff and elders to pray for. That we join with you to pray. That's where our strength is coming from. That's what they're, they're praying together. Now, what makes prayer so hard? 
Some people, it's just, it's just hard. It's, I can't explain it. It's just difficult. Maybe it's weird. If I say, hey, pray with your spouse, you're like, that's weird. I don't know what to say. Or if you're in a small group who wants to pray for us and no one wants to pray because they don't want to say the wrong thing or fumble through it or they don't know how to pray. It's just something that keeps us from prayer. Others say, well, everything about prayer is slow. And I need a quicker response than what comes with prayer. It feels like you have to just wait on the Lord. That's what makes it hard. Or maybe some of us say, it's hard because what does prayer do? I mean, we're a doing culture. And I just want to know, like, what benefit, how does it reward me to pray? Some of us doubt that God hears our prayers. Is he really close enough to hear? Or maybe we doubt that he answers our prayers. Would he really answer? Like, we kind of even respond. Even if it was a slow response, would he even respond to the things that I bring before him? When all those issues are what keeps us from prayer, let's look at the disciples' prayer. And maybe it will teach us to have more confidence being connected to God in prayer within the community. Let's see what this is. It's a parking ticket. Okay. Verse 25. Or sorry, we'll start back in verse 24, where it says, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, to your, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak with word and all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's their prayer. Now, the first thing that we learn about their prayer is that it is absolutely saturated with Scripture. There's a 17th century minister and author who says this. This is his name, John, or sorry, uh, William Gurnell. It says, the mightier any is in the word, the more mighty he will be in prayer. That we let the words of God inform our, our prayer life so that when we're squeezed like a tube of toothpaste, whatever's in us is going to come out. It's the words of God that come out. It's the praises of God. It's the promises of God. It's the character of God. So this prayer is saturated with Scripture. Even Psalm 2 is quoted here in their prayer life. Some of us have a shallow prayer life because we have a shallow life in the Word. Now, I, I just encourage you to do this. Whatever is the trial that's in the, in the midst of your life right now, whatever grief or hardship, opposition, whatever threat, do you know three or four characteristics of God that address that particularly? Or three or four promises of God that speak to that directly? If you don't, here's my encouragement, really my encouragement is to go find three or four, maybe five of each, the character and nature of God, the promises of God, and meditate on them. Memorize them. So that your prayers are informed by them. So that the richness of your prayer life would grow deep. Now if you're like, I don't even know where to begin to do something like that. Here, here's my invitation, an offering to you. If you would send me a note, 
Thomas, this is where I'm at in life. This is my main issue. I don't know the scriptures as I should, or I want to know them better. Would you direct me to three or four or five passages that I can meditate or maybe memorize to inform my prayer life? I would love to do that for you. So here are the disciples, gathering community, letting everyone know what's really going on, and then they're praying with one voice, with one voice. You see that? This back to God. And they start with, Sovereign God, Creator of the world, of all things. Why do they pray to God? Why even bother Him with this? It's because He's the ultimate authority. You see, what's happening here is a struggle with authority. Of who do I listen to, and who do I obey? So what we see is last week, you have the Sanhedrin gather the disciples and say, the message you're sharing of the gospel, we want you to stop speaking it. Under their threat, they say, stop speaking. You must listen to us. Stop speaking. Well, that's a problem. Because how did Acts 1 open? Is Jesus commissioning his disciples to go be witnesses, to go speak about the things they have seen and the things they have heard in Jerusalem, where they are right now, and then into Judea, and then Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. So here's Jesus, God himself saying, go and speak. Tell everybody, don't stop speaking. And then you have this religious authority saying, stop speaking. But now I have a problem. Who will I obey? The higher authority. This is why the disciples last week said to the Sanhedrin, whether it's right for us to listen to you or to God, you be the judge. But for us, we can't help but do what God has called us to do. We must continue to be faithful to what God has called us to do. Because God is the sovereign creator of all life. He's the ultimate authority. Imagine you're in a business, you're working for somebody, and the owner of the company comes to you and says, this is what I want you to do in your job. And then one of your fellow employees, maybe a manager of you, comes and says something directly against that. Stop doing that. You would look at them and say, I appreciate your concern, but the owner of the company who pays my bills, writes me my check, has told me this is my job. This is why the disciples come and say, Sovereign God, that the word of God has informed them who they're praying to. Sovereign God, the ultimate authority. That all these other authorities in the world, administrative authorities, governors, presidents, kings, appreciate, but you're simply managers. You're managers. And God, the author sovereign over life, is the one that has commissioned me to this. And so I know you tell me, stop speaking here. But I have to follow the owner, the author, and we will continue to speak in our boldness. This is, this is a question of obedience to which authority. And God as sovereign and creator is the ultimate authority that we listen to. That's who we listen to in all circumstances. That's who we listen to. Now, he quotes Psalm 2 here. And he says, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, Jesus. But the kings and the governors and the authorities of this earth who've opposed God, they oppose him in, and if you've got liberty in your Bible, circle this word, meditate on this word. How do they oppose God? They oppose God in vain. That means that they're not strong enough to oppose God. They can't oppose God. 
God is always victorious. We know how the story ends. He speaks about Jesus even through suffering. Even though suffering was part of the story, Jesus in victory wins against these kings and authorities. And so here in victory they pray. Why does the world rage against you, God? In vain. In vain. It's going nowhere. You can't accomplish anything. We pray in victory. Our prayers are informed in victory. And then it says this, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That's a different prayer than we pray. How would we pray that prayer? And Lord, take away the threat. And Lord, remove the opposition. And Lord, give them back what they deserve. And God, make this right. This is not fair. This is wrong. And where do they pray? Lord, look at, look at their threats. And in the midst of their threats, would you give us your servants? Like we're, we're your servants. We serve you. Would you give your servants all boldness to continue to speak in spite of opposition and threats? Our prayers are always, take away the threats. Get them out of here. It's so uncomfortable. Remove the suffering. The Bible teaches us a very different thing. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of opposition, they say, Lord, may I not shrink back. May I not come over here to apathy. May I not check out of the mission of why I exist to serve you, God. And so keep me from this pole over here. Help me to be faithful when you preach and share what I've seen and what I've heard in all boldness. And then it says this, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That in, in our speaking, in our boldness, would you be so kind, Lord, to accompany our witness with blessing? Would you continue to bring healing to them? Care for them? Reveal yourself to them? And would you do it in a way that only God can do? That's their prayer. God, would you do something that only God can do that we can't even take credit for. That you would continue to bless them, that you heal them, and show them signs and wonders. Would blessing accompany our witness? And so keep me from this poem of being very, very aggressive and getting back at people. And so I'm not going to just check out and be apathetic. I'm not going to just rush in and be aggressive. This is the biblical response right here to oppression and threat. May I respond in boldness and blessing. That's what I'm responding with. Is boldness, that confidence, that courage to not shrink back, but also in blessing, in humility and care for those who are against me. I want to love them and care for them and bless them and let those blessings and boldness be the evidence of my faith. And so I think God responds after this prayer. So they're all huddled up. Remember, we've got to stay connected in community. Okay, stay connected in prayer. You gotta stay connected with God's Spirit. There's no reason to go continue to ministry if you're gonna do it outside the, the, the power of the Spirit. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. God answered their prayer. What did they pray for? Boldness. What did God give them? Boldness. And the shaking of the place is this. This presence of what we see in the Old Testament of, of God being with them. And here's the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
Not as the baptism of the Spirit or some obscure slang of the Spirit. This is the normal Christian experience which Paul tells us. Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit. Let God's operational influence fill you and direct you. What this teaches us about the church is to, it guards us against two dangers. One is to just be absent from the church. Like, I don't need to be there on Sunday. I don't need to be in a small group. I can do this on my own. Maybe for a season, but not for long. You don't sustain vibrant, rich faith alone. And it also teaches us against this idea that we just need to huddle up and get inside the fortress and no one matters outside in the community. What it teaches us is this. There's both an inflow and an outflow to our Christian faith. We come into the fellowship for care and repair. And then we go out for boldness and blessing. We don't just have a holy huddle here. Like the world's scary, there's opposition, there's threat. Let's retreat from it. Let's go find a place out in the world that doesn't have these threats and we'll hang out there. Oh, scared Christian one. No, we, we come in because we've been wounded and there's hardship and we need to be around each other and then there's, there's care for one another and repair for one purpose, to be sent back out. And they go back out in boldness and blessing. That's what we're here. We're gathered as the staff. Like This is a staff meeting. Welcome. I know the world beat you up a little bit. It beat me up too. And my own sin has beaten me up. And so we come together for repair and for care so that we can be sent back out for boldness and blessing. We come in to care and repair one another. The God would do that and then be sent us back out for boldness and for blessing. That's our desires. Is that God will continue to bring us in, care for us, and send us back out in boldness. This is the key to staying courageous, is staying connected to God in the fellowship, the community, stay connected in prayer, and stay connected with the filling of the Holy Spirit so that we would be sent out as confident, bold, courageous witnesses, knowing that God is sovereign and he answers our prayer. This was great. This is John chapter 15. It's not on the screen, but I'll show it to you. This is knowing his promises. And praying them to God. This is why you want to know the words of God. Is that Jesus says, hey, listen, stay connected to me. If, you, if you're not connected to me, in community with me, on the vine, you can do nothing. Nothing. If you stay connected to me, then, then much fruit can be born. And here's the thing. If you stay connected to me, though, the world's going to hate you because it hated me first. Okay, but don't, don't take heart. Like, you're not greater than the master. But then at the very end of John 15, of being connected and, and the awareness of this threat and opposition coming to them, verse 26 says, But when the Helper comes, this is the Holy Spirit that they have now, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So what we see is God answering the promise that he gave them all the way back here in John 15, over here in Acts 4. And God is with them. God's present with them, the Spirit will continue to witness, and they will continue to witness. That's where the boldness comes from. And so stay connected to stay courageous. Now here's where it kind of meets our story today, is we want to be a praying church. We're going to be devoted to prayer. And we expect God not only to hear our prayers as He's promised, but to answer our prayers as He's promised. And so we, in all boldness, want to do a few things. We want to make disciples. Power leaders multiply churches. We want to extend the witness to every area of the world. These aren't just like pictures on a wall. This is what we're about. This is our mission statement that we're a Christ centered community of people fully devoted to loving God and loving others. This is what Jesus gave us. The whole law can be summed up in this love God, love others. We're passionate about these things. 
And we ask God to lead us in these things. And so if you remember, I'm going to walk you through a timeline that's, per, that's pertinent to our Go3 campaign. Or Go3 initiatives, not really campaign. Go3 camp, uh, initiative. So all the way back in January of 2019, the leadership and elders sensed that God was, was calling Calvary to another unique season of ministry. And in humility, the leaders said, I mean, we got to pray. we got to call the people to pray about what God's leading is. And so last year, we celebrated 130 years of God's faithfulness to Calvary. That we, we started the Swedish group of, of uh, Christian believers in Boulder, Colorado. And for 130 years, God's been faithful to Calvary to multiply churches. Sometimes there are church plants here locally coming alongside other local churches, other Christians, multiplying churches internationally, helping pastors be resourced to start new churches internationally. Multiplying churches looks lots of ways, looks lots of different ways. In 2006, it was unique to Calvary's story that we planted a campus, this eerie campus, to multiply the church. We said, God, what, what would you have for us? We want to stay in step with you. We don't want to rush ahead. We don't want to lag behind. But what are you doing? Let's call the people to pray. And so we prayed for 130 days leading up to our celebration in June. And every week we gave you a prayer guide of what to pray for, how to pray for us, pray that God would do something that only God can do. Big, bold, audacious prayers. We gathered in, in this room and on the Boulder campus together for worship and prayer nights to seek the face of God. In June, when we gathered at Mackey, a few thousand of us to celebrate what God has, has done in our history. We shared with the congregation that we said that God was leading us to launch a third campus. People asked, well, where's that third campus going to be? When are you going to launch it? And we said, we don't know. Some didn't believe us, but we really didn't know. We said, I, don't, I don't know. We just feel like the Lord's calling us, and we want to be obedient and faithful, and so this is what we're going to ask you to do. Surprise, surprise. Keep praying. Pray that God would bring clarity to this. In June, the elders commissioned three investigatory teams to look at the needs of the Boulder campus, the Erie campus, and then this third location of what that would be. And for 90 days, these investigatory teams looked at what kind of data, trying to answer some questions that the elders were asking. We've primarily focused on Westminster and Broomfield to the south of us for this third campus, though Thornton was kind of in that conversation. Back in October of 2019, those reports were given back to the elder board, submitted for more prayer and consideration. There it was recommended and surfaced that Thornton might be where God's leading us. That our initial thought maybe wasn't exactly where God had it in mind for us, but maybe Thornton. So we started praying about Thornton and started meeting with school teachers, administrators, civic leaders, developers, local pastors, local residents, talking about what does it look like to be in this community, to be a good neighbor in this community, to be a church in this community. And we started looking at where would that land us. And so we started looking at places to, to actually set up a church. Like, is it a school? Is it a distressed property? Is it releasing something? Or where would you have us? And we, we actually even toured schools. Because remember, Calvary Erie started off at Erie High School. But things didn't seem to settle. It said, we're going to keep coming back and praying about these things. And so then we called the congregation, this is in January of this year, to inform everyone of the update of what's been going on. What have we been praying about? Where do we sense God leading? And we shared that Thornton came on the radar and we're following the Lord's leading in that direction. And so we started asking the congregation, would you continue to pray of where we might meet and when we might meet there? In those conversations with local pastors, civic leaders, uh, school board members, uh, one of our local pastors has informed us about a church in Thornton that was wrestling also with what God was doing with them. 
that ministry didn't seem as though it could continue in their current building. And, and we wanted to have a conversation with them to see what God had been doing for their faithful years of ministry in Thornton. And we met with them and actually invited them to join us on the 12th as we shared with our congregation what our heart is. And they could hear our heart. Our elders have since met with their elders for several conversations. And in fact, Tom went out and preached a sermon uh, on a Sunday morning. Justin Hundle, our, our uh, worship uh, intern, went out there and he led worship out there in Thornton. And more conversations happened with their leadership and our leadership. Which are true about what would it look like maybe if God was doing something with us together as we continue to seek the Lord. Two weeks ago, the Gathering Church in Thornton, this is now February, two weeks ago, put this in front of their congregation. This is what they are going to vote on. After considerable prayer and careful consideration and the presentation of many options, the Gathering Leadership Team wholeheartedly recommends to its members the building and the assets in whole be given to Calvary Bible Church in Boulder and eerie for the purpose of the continuation of fulfilling the Great Commission. God is so faithful, friends, that He hears your prayers, He hears our prayers, and answers our prayers. That was two weeks ago. According to their bylaws, they're going to vote on this. And they voted, it, voted on it this morning at 9 o'clock. And I got this text just a couple minutes ago from their elders. It says, Pastors, the Gathering Church has just officially voted in the affirmative to offer Calvary Bible Church the assets and opportunity for ministry at our location. We're looking forward to becoming your third campus. Faithful 
in our next steps with you, not to rush ahead or lag behind, but to be with you. May our response to all hardship, opposition, to threat, Lord, be boldness and blessing to the world. And Father, we pray that you would take this next season as we get ready to plant another campus that is filled with the Spirit, that is faithful to the Scriptures, would you let many women and men, young, old families, come to know Christ and be built up in Christ, that the name of Jesus would be made famous in all the places in the world, in where we go next, in Thornton. It's in your name we praise, Jesus. Amen. Amen.